If you can dodge a pan, you can dodge a ball. And possibly a concussion. It's time to kick off Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with the first chapter, The Worst Birthday. This chapter is highlighted by Harry pretending to catch a bush on fire. Seriously, this might be the worst chapter in the entire series. And I can say that because this is the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach and welcome to Belated Binge. I didn't read these books until I was a grown man. And if I could have skipped this one altogether, that would have been okay with me. But don't skip this episode. The chapter may have been rough, but the podcast is definitely not. There's plenty to dive into, particularly Harry's selfless character, despite the Dursley's emotional and physical abuse. Strap in, this is a good one. Not for the first time, an argument had broken out over breakfast at number four Privet Drive. Mr. Vernon Dursley had been woken in the early hours of the morning by a loud hooting noise from his nephew Harry's room. Third time this week, he roared across the table. If you can't control that owl, It'll have to go. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-20s. That's the belated part. Now we're going back. A chapter or two at a time, picking it apart deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly Dumbledore's role and his master plan. What did he know? When did he know it? And the motivations guiding the story. And, of course, infusing as much sarcasm as I possibly can. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge. And today, we begin our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, also known around the world as Chamber of Secrets. Not having to say two completely different book titles is something I'm embarrassingly excited about. I'm also excited to roll out new themes and a new format for this season. As an independent podcaster hosting my first podcast, I'm learning a lot on the fly, and I'm also trying different things out as I go. And this season, we're embracing our full Potterhead. So for anyone who struggled with the loose sports references from last season, thank you for toughing through them and I hope you enjoy the changes to the show. I've also adjusted the flow of our show to hopefully foster more engagement from you. I said our show because I fully intend it to be a me and you thing, which means I need to hear from you to make that happen. But before we get into all of that, this podcast will have spoilers. If you haven't read these by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast could also have some adult language. I'm just going to say it. It will. You can buy these in the kids section, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. Also, in light of some updated benefits on Patreon, shout out to Angel Lego, who is our first ever patron and actually joined pretty early on in Season 1. Thank you, Angel. I'll also have a little bit more about Patreon later in the show. In case you were obliviated or got your Hogwarts letter late, the first season of the podcast covered the first book in the series, where we met the boy who lived, followed him on his journey from being orphaned to his neglect and abuse until learning he was a wizard and going off to magic school. While he was at magic school, he spent more time trying to avoid being murdered than he did reading his books, and he saved the wizarding world from the return of the darkest wizard and literal 
serial killer of this time period by nearly burning one of his teachers alive with his bare hands, like you'd expect in your first year of school, in books written for children. And since this is the first chapter of our new book, and we didn't have a chapter in our last episode, I'll just introduce you to the first real change in the show with our next segment. Expecto. Plot change this is the part of the show where we theorize on what would we would expect to change in the story if we made one small adjustment to the plot of the chapter that we're covering. If you're familiar with the podcast from season one, you'd recognize this concept as the game of inches. Last season, you heard me propose a small tweak to the plot, and then I would monologue about what I think the ripple effect would be. I then started posing the questions on social media, and by the end of the season, I was actually getting some responses and some engagement. That's the goal this season. But instead of doing it kind of willy-nilly, I've got a process. Sort of. <laughs> After I give a brief reminder of what happened in the previous episode, we're going to launch into the Expecto plot change by first tying a bow on last week's question and sharing your responses and giving my own thoughts after that. I'll then pull out my phone flip the camera around all selfie style like the kids do who are cool and technologically advanced, more so than me at least. And I will ask this week's question just like, in chapter one of Chamber of Secrets, The Worst Birthday, what if Petunia Dursley had better aim with that soapy frying pan? Would it have connected? Knocked him out? Worse? Would the Dursleys even do anything about it? Would they take him to the hospital if necessary? Would they just leave him laying on the ground KO'd in the garden? Or would something else happen entirely? Let me know your thoughts, and I'll share them in the next episode. This video will, after this airs, get posted on social media across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can respond with your thoughts on any of those platforms or as a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com. Of course, on all those platforms, it's also at belatedbinge. And now we will dive into the events of this week's chapter, The Worst Birthday, with Priority Incan Chapter. For seasoned vets of the show, this is the old play-by-play, -play, where we recap what went down in the chapter that we read. This week, The Worst Birthday starts with a punch in the face. Not literally, but pretty close. And it's 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 a way we get kind of pretty used to in this series. And what I mean by that is at the Dursleys, we're immediately reminded of how bad they suck. And that's pretty common throughout the entire series. In this particular instance, it's Vernon complaining about Hedwig, her hooting and waking him up. And we learn that... This is a conversation that has apparently happened several times throughout the summer when no words were written on pages. Uh, Vernon won't let Harry let Hedwig out of her cage in order to stretch her wings, but he gets super pissed when she makes noise because she's been stuck in a cage for weeks. She's an owl. She's meant to fly, not sit in a cage. It's kind of cruel, really, but it's Vernon Dursley. What else do we expect? And we get a reminder of Harry's sarcastic sense of humor when Dudley wants more bacon, and Harry tells him he forgot the magic word. And as you might expect, in a rational household, everyone loses their shit. 
especially Vernon, who freaks out about Harry threatening Dudley, and he's pounding his fist on the table and undoubtedly turning a very violent shade of purple. It's as if Harry made a knife appear from the tip of his wand and was holding it as Dudley's neck, when all he was doing was trying to get Dudley to say please. This is clearly a completely normal household to live in for anyone, wizard or muggle alike. And then the exposition begins, and we're reminded of what happened in the last book, and we learn that it's Harry's 12th birthday, which the Dursleys forgot, or more likely just didn't care. And we learn that Vernon has some person, family, couple, whatever, coming over for dinner later in the night. He's going to try to make some big drill sale. Uh, and they're walking through the game plan, which is absolutely nauseating, when they, they're they going through each other's roles and, uh, you know, Dudley's going to go to the door and Petunia's going to be the great housewife and Vernon's going to make racist jokes, apparently that's coming a little later, but uh, they get to Harry's part and we go from annoying to downright abuse. His response for his role in this charade that's going to be taking place that night i'll be in my room making no noise pretending i'm not there that's a direct quote he's forced to repeat it and we feel that just rage against these people that we'd almost forgotten about since the last book with all the you know near-death experiences and parasitic baldy babies and friendship and adventure it's it's been a while since we've had to see the dursleys properly and This is a painful reminder of how completely shitty they are as people, and if Harry could just learn the Avada Kedavra and split his soul three times at this very table, that would be just fine by me. And as our chapters always seem to do, we can go back to Dumbledore in this moment. We can be mad at Dumbledore for making Harry live with these awful people people, but as rereaders, we at least know why he's there and why it has to happen. But what many people, rightfully, have a problem with is that Harry doesn't. Dumbledore catches a lot of shit for the way that he manipulates people, and particularly Harry, in this series, and people get really frustrated by how many secrets he keeps from him. I get that. Some people go as far as to say that Dumbledore should have told him everything, in the very first book, laid it all out there. Personally, I push back on this a little bit. For those people, you want to tell an 11-year-old boy that he was marked for death by a prophecy that led to his parents' murder because it was overheard by one of his own teachers who consistently bullies him and that you were the one who sent him to live with his abusive aunt and uncle, and are raising and training him to be a martyr. How do you think that's supposed to go exactly? But I would say here that I totally agree with is that Dumbledore could have shared key bits of information sooner than he did, starting with the reason that Harry's been forced to live with the rancid piles of steaming shit that he's surrounded by in this moment. I would argue that Dumbledore should have taken a more visible role in Harry's upbringing. Come to visit, dropping by, maybe not as head wizard on the cobble street, but perhaps a concerned child service worker who's checking in on him. He is an orphan, after all. 
or a great Uncle Al who comes by for dinner every so often and the Dursleys are just ever so pleased to have in their home. He could have kept the Dursleys a little more in line if he was, you know, right there. He could have been an active supporter for Harry growing up, and then when he learned about the wizarding world, came to Hogwarts and saw his crazy Uncle Al was a complete badass, carried a wand, made of elder, by the way, uh, they could have had a little chat with Dumbledore, letting him in kind of on the story, some of it anyways. Most notably, that his mother sacrificed herself in an effort to save him, and that sacrifice protected him from Voldemort, and that Dumbledore was able to extend that protection from Voldemort for Harry as long as he goes back to the Dursleys for a bit every summer and can call that place home. Now, maybe if young Harry knows all this, maybe he doesn't call it home. Maybe that actually explains why Dumbledore doesn't tell him until he's old enough to understand it better. I don't know. Maybe that's the angle that we've been missing in this fandom all these years. Maybe if 11 or 12 and, you know, heaven forbid, that angsty teenager caps lock Harry that is coming. Uh, Maybe if he had this information and in a fit of hormones and anger broke the charm, no longer respecting them as parental figures or in some kind of rather cocky fit at the burrow he started popping off at the mouth about how he only goes there to keep the charm and it's not really his home and maybe i don't know maybe that breaks it somehow maybe it no longer works maybe there truly was a method to the madness or maybe dumbledore just put the greater good above the mental health of this young child and chose not to tell him this information because he didn't want to maybe he really does still just look at harry as a chess piece Nothing more, nothing less. At this point, I'm inclined to think that that probably isn't all that unlikely. But back to the chapter. After this infuriating family meeting, we get another punch, this time to the gut. Harry walks outside, starts sadly singing happy birthday to himself, and he starts to think about how he had no presents, no letters from his friends, and it's just sad. And while he's reflecting on all of this, his friends, his school, his nearly being murdered by a parasitic Voldemort growing out of the back of his professor's head, we learn he's still having night terrors. Big shock. And then he sees a pair of big green eyes in the bushes. And at this same moment, Dudley starts taunting him about it being his birthday like only Dudley can, which is a big pile of shit. And in true Harry fashion at this point, because the Dursleys don't know Harry's not allowed to do magic outside of school, yet Harry starts messing with him, pretending he's going to catch the bushes on fire, and Dudley runs away screaming like only Dudley can. A big pile of shit. And Petunia Dursley has the normal reaction that you might expect. She throws a frying pan at his head. And then she made him do a ton of chores while Dudley sat around eating ice cream. And Harry's dinner? Two slices of bread and a lump of cheese. I've been doing my best to keep from... uh, losing the filter completely. Keeping my swearing to a minimum on this podcast. But this chapter is really tempting every fiber of my remaining self-control. I hate these people with a burning passion. I wish their fate at the end of these books was worse and had a hell of a lot more crucios in it. 
Anyway, he eats his plate of cold child abuse and is threatened again about making any noise during the real dinner that they were going to have with the Masons. We're left on a cliffhanger, because when he goes into his room and plans to lay in it, his bed, that is, not just in the middle of his room, although wouldn't be a shock if the Dursleys took away his bed for any reason and he did just sleep in the middle of the floor, but that's not in this story. Somehow. Um, he goes to lay in his bed and somebody was already in it. And that's it. That wraps up this chapter, which is because mostly I just didn't want to give you an insane amount of uh, recap on what the whole first book was about. We just did a full season of the podcast over the first book. You're welcome to go listen to it. If you haven't heard any of it, I urge you to. It would be great to have you. But I don't feel the need to tell you everything that happened in that one, in this episode. A sentiment that I think many of us kind of wish the books would have kept as well. Which brings us into the next new piece of the show. Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half-giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, Hey, you're rich! Having a podcast takes a lot, and it's not easy, so your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell everyone of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself. Whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media, maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available 
designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons Discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, speaking of supporting the podcast, I also wanted to give a quick thank you to A. Burke Designs, who gave us our first Apple review last season, which was five stars. And I quote, great series so far. Can't believe you almost missed out on the magic of these books. Never too late to make it right. I'm going to start sharing reviews on the show as I get them. Uh, I've got a few to catch up on from last season, but I definitely love more. So please (laughs) go leave some. Um, Let's get into the next segment, which is Lumos. Lumos is our new segment, which is similar to the scouting report last season. Our wands are lit and it's time to illuminate the only thing we possibly can in this awful chapter of the book, Harry Potter. This kid has been abused for his entire life at the hands of his aunt and uncle. He's been bullied by his cousin. He finally had some good news last year when he found out he was a famous wizard with a whole lot of cash, but the trade-off is that there's a dark wizard serial killer after you. So he escapes a lifetime of abuse for a few months of near-death experiences. And somehow, those are preferred. Look, he's had it rough. And what's worse is the only thing he's truly had is the friendship bond he made with Ron and Hermione at school last year. And here he is, on his birthday, no letters, all summer, he's convinced his friends don't care about him at all, and he knows the Dursleys don't. Where does this kid find any will to get out of bed in the morning, let alone find small hints of joy at any point in this awful existence. Yet, this kid just got done putting himself into a literal life or death situation. He stood toe to toe with a grown wizard with a parasitic murderer growing from the back of his skull. He hung in there until he nearly died and kept these, them, hims from retrieving one of the most valuable artifacts on the face of the planet. The sorcerers or philosopher's stone. Hopefully that's one of the last times I have to make that distinction. An object that can turn any metal into gold and literally provide immortality. Harry saved the world 
from Voldemort returning with a body, a way to stay alive forever, or another one, but we haven't gotten that far yet, and a never-ending supply of financial resources to aid in his takeover of not only the wizarding world, but ultimately his taking out the muggles by force. And now he's singing happy birthday to himself in some bushes. This kid's going to put himself in harm's way time and time again before this series is over, and he's truly going to make every sacrifice imaginable for the betterment of others. And there's no way he should ever be that selfless. Not after this upbringing and how awful his circumstances have been, and yet he is. His empathy, his bravery, his character, and his moral compass are just always pointing in the right direction. Without guidance, without an example to follow, and nearly without a single thing to live for in this moment of the book. Yet, he'll use this experience to better himself and be even more empathetic to others. When so many others would lash out, be angry, hurt, you know, want to hurt people, want to hurt them more than help them, be tempted by darkness, a la Snape, a la Tom Riddle, not Harry. Harry stays the true hero. That this story needs not a perfect one and never anyone's favorite character but the right one the right hero for the journey that we're on and we just started the first chapter of just the second book let's do some divination, divination. Previously known as the foreshadow segment, it's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future. Starting with number one, we get repeated mentions of how Harry is to be quiet in his room and pretend not to exist. Of course, this can only be foreshadowing a whole bunch of noise and nonsense to come. And oh, will it and very, very soon. Number two, he mentions how his friends forgot his birthday and that he hasn't gotten any letters this summer. This isn't foreshadowing that they forgot him and he's not gonna have friends at school anymore. It's foreshadowing that someone has been keeping those from him. Speaking of someone, number three, the giant eyes in the bush. This is a double dose of foreshadowing. Not only is it dropping the hint that someone or something is about to enter our story, but it's also a nod to our next book when Harry sees Sirius in dog form checking in on him. If I'm not mistaken, that too is some eyes in the bushes type of situation. And number four, the pudding mention on the top of the fridge. It seems like a silly thing to include, and like it's just rubbing in the fact that Harry isn't being fed properly but of course it's actually being mentioned here because it's about to be a big big mess and a big big deal and a big big problem for the hero of our story now let's give away some house points Instead of the game ball and the red card for single characters this season, we're going to give and take house points. In true Hogwarts fashion, it's going to be completely subjective, no oversight, and fully 
at my discretion. This week, I'm giving house points to Harry, of course. He's getting 10 points for simply dealing with these people and for the moment of levity where he pretends to set Bush on fire. I like it when he screws with Dudley's head because I don't like Dudley. Now, I'm taking house points away from Vernon Dursley, who's losing 30 points for being a giant abusive waste of space. For uh, Dudley, I'm going to be taking away 15 points for being a slightly smaller abusive waste of space. And Petunia Dursley, I'm taking away 50 points for trying to physically abuse him with a frying pan and for feeding him bread and cheese as his dinner. If he didn't need her blood connection to his mother for the sacrifice and the protection, she could literally accidentally fall on an ice pick, and I'd be good with it. Sorry. I'll have a a nerdy spreadsheet of some sort to keep track of all these points, and I will tally them up for the the end-of-the-season Bingey Awards. Before we go... I still also have to acknowledge the moments in the episode that were utterly ridiculous. Ridiculous. Previously known as the Fumble Award, it's not an episode of the binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense. Starting with, well, this whole damn chapter. It's ridiculous. I hate it. I hate this family. I hate the planning for the dinner. I hate the angry outbursts. I hate the blatant abuse. I hate all of it, with the exception of the fake bushfire taunts. In in reality, if this was going on in some suburban neighborhood, someone would see the flying frying pans or how shitty this boy's being treated, and children's services or whatever equivalent exists would definitely have taken this kid away from this hellhole that he lives in. We're supposed to believe that none of this kid's teachers growing up, parents of other kids, neighbors, nobody has noticed that the kid who's completely malnourished and his clothes don't fit and is being bullied by the same kid that he lives with, who's the literal opposite of those things that I mentioned, nobody's noticed this. No one. No one. Sure. But it makes us feel bad for him, so it does its job. Whatever. I. This chapter can fuck right off, as far as I'm concerned. Probably won't even edit that out. And with that happy note, we've reached the end of this episode of The Binge. As always, shout out to Producer Jack, who I work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to the show. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other pod players. If you want to support some of the non-major platforms, consider trying Good Pods or maybe Podchaser or something. Um, If you're new, welcome. If you've been here from the beginning, I hope that you've enjoyed the new format. I'm also lining up more guests for this season, and I'm excited, super excited, to share more on that coming up. If you're reading along, next episode, we're going to be covering Chapter 2 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Dobby's Warning. And I can promise you that while that chapter is plenty problematic, I like it so much better than this one that we just dealt with. So uh, I hope that you will still join for that episode. I'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. Remember, boy, one sound. Harry crossed his bedroom on tiptoe, slipped inside, closed the door, and turned to collapse on his bed. 
The trouble was, there was already someone sitting on it. 